This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Well, good morning, everybody. It is seven minutes past nine o'clock here in Middletown, Connecticut. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call, a snowy one here in the Northeast. And I mean, we are expecting 10 to 16 inches of snow uh, here in most of Connecticut today. So, yippee. (laughs) If you're snowed in and you're joining us uh, glad to have you. We're having some issues with our Facebook feed this morning. As soon as I press live, all of a sudden everything seemed to freeze up. So I don't know for sure uh, whether we're going out on Facebook or not, but uh, we will keep checking it and uh, hopefully um, uh, we can get that resolved at some point here this morning. Uh, I want to warn you before I get started with this show. Uh, I'm a little punchy this morning. I have been up since three o'clock this morning. Uh, my wife, Barbara had to open up the store at home Depot this morning. Uh, and fortunately she was going in, the snow started sometime after midnight. And fortunately, uh, uh, she was going in before it got too bad. Her commute home might be a little brutal, but I wanted to get up and make sure she got off. Okay. And of course I wanted to, uh, stage the snowblower cause I'm getting ready for this afternoon so I can clear it out for her. But, uh, uh, anyway, so I'm, uh, I've been up since three and I'm operating on about two hours of sleep. So. I, uh, I want to take absolutely zero responsibility for anything I might say in this show. So I'm just warning you ahead of time. All right, let's, uh, let's get to sports. we got a lot to talk about this morning. I watched the UConn women's game uh, yesterday. Uh, or should I say I watched three-quarters of the UConn women's basketball game yesterday. Uh, it was absolutely brutal. There's no other way to put it. Um, UConn was down seven at points in the first quarter. They ended up trailing at the end of one, I think by three. But then they just exploded in the second and third quarter. They outscored DePaul in the second quarter, 29-11, to 11, and outscored them in the third quarter, 32-14. to 14. The game was over at the end of three. I, I, I turned to Barbara and I said, feel free to watch anything that you would like <laughs> because this game is over. So uh, a dominating performance. And look, you got to give Paul, DePaul a little bit of a, a pass here. Uh, they had not played in 10 days. They had been shut down because of the whole coronavirus thing. So, you know, they came in with a 9-3 and three record, but they were also a team that hadn't had any competition in damn near two weeks. Makes it tough when you're playing a team that is coming in after losing a game um, and a UConn team that does not lose two games in a row. And so you knew you were in trouble going in. And having 10 days off, you knew it was going to be even worse. And it was, it was as bad as it could have been. 
so anyway, that is uh, that is where we're at as far as that goes. You know, one other thing, and I didn't realize this, UConn has not lost back-to-back games, get this, since 1993. 1993, a thousand and I, a thousand and five games without consecutive losses. I'm not, that just boggles the mind. 1,005 games without losing back-to-back games. So you knew, you knew after losing to Arkansas last week that uh, they were going to be loaded for bear, and they certainly were. Paige Beckers with one of the best games of her young career, the freshman, 22 points, 10 assists, 7 rebounds, uh, shot 5 for 7 from 3-point range. Uh, she was unconscious. Uh, Kristen Williams, 29 points, shot 12 Four fifteen from the field. I mean, that's just unheard of for for a guard. You know, she's not. You know, it wasn't like she was getting all layups. Twelve for fifteen from the field, twenty nine points. Uh, everybody had double figures. Uh, Ivina Westbrook had twelve points and fourteen boards. Olivia Nelson, Adota, Aubrey Griffin, uh, Aaliyah Edwards, all in double figures. So uh, UConn shot. Almost sixty percent from the field in this game. They're, they did very little wrong, you know. And it was interesting too. And Gino, at the end of the game, uh, in a press conference, said, "You know, this is just a, t- a terrible time for them to be playing basketball." You know, and I, I don't know if the girls would agree with that. They're playing Division One basketball. They're getting a free education, so I'm not sure they would specifically agree. But you know, and when pressed on why he felt that way, he said, "Because there's nothing to get excited about." He said it's glorified practice except you're playing against another team. He said there's no crowd, there's no energy. You know, and people say, well, what's the difference? And he said it's a huge difference. Basketball's meant to be played with the emotion. He's right. He's right. How many times have you seen, you know, basketball games, or any sport for that matter, and a team feeds off the energy in the building, be it positive or negative? You know, and the home team plays better. You know, when they're in front of their home crowd. You know, there's no question. But it is what it is, you know, uh, and, and they'll take it. And, and, you know, I was thinking about that. We're getting ready to uh, kick off high school basketball season here in the state of Connecticut. And, you know, th- these kids are going to be playing in front of no fans. These high school kids, you know what? They don't care. They want to play. That's the bottom line. They just want to play. So I think they will be perfectly fine uh, with playing in front of no fans. Uh, by the way, we're in the process of finalizing our schedule um, here on Sports Country Radio, and it looks like we are going to have, and I must be out of my mind, uh, we're going, it looks like, to have uh, 19 games on the air in five weeks. So it's going to be, we're going to be doing Xavier uh, Mercy High School, the two Catholic high schools in town, as well as the Cromwell High Schools 
uh, both boys and girls teams. So, uh, and it kicks off on Wednesday, February the 10th, and will go all the way through March 18th. Uh, there will be some conference tournaments after that. There's no state tournament, uh, but we'll uh, we'll cover the conference tournament as well. But look, you know, these high school kids, I mean, I get what Gino's saying, but these high school kids just want to play. These college kids just want to play. Yeah, there's no fans. Yeah, it sucks, but it is what it is, right? It's what we're It's what we're stuck with. You know, it's it's what we've got, and these kids will take it all day and twice on Sunday. So uh, I hope that, uh, you know, I hope that these kids, you know, some of them missed out on the end of last seasons. So here's hoping that, uh, you know, the kids that are going to be seniors this year get an opportunity to play a little bit. And, you know, the numbers here in the state of Connecticut, the coronavirus numbers, I think we're at like our positivity rate is like 3.4%. So it's low. So hopefully, uh, you know, hopefully that will go well. It looks like we have our Facebook feed back up. Um, Facebook was being a little funky this morning. So uh, those of you that are checking in on Facebook, welcome as well. Uh, One other college basketball note. By the way, the UConn men don't play until Saturday. They will have been off again for two weeks after. They were supposed to have a game last Wednesday against Villanova. They were supposed to play again on Saturday. They were supposed to play again, I believe, on Tuesday. Those games have all been canceled. Uh, so UConn is going to be kind of in the same position that DePaul women were in and had two weeks off and, you know, have to try to crank it back up. But, you know, stop and start, but it's the the way of, look, the NBA's having to do that, the NHL's having to do that. I'm sure Major League Baseball is going to have to do that, and we'll get there's some baseball news. We'll get to that in uh, just a minute as well. Uh, one other college basketball note, John Chaney died this weekend. Uh, John Cheney was 89 years old, and it, it had been a brief illness. I uh, don't know what it was. I, I don't believe it was the coronavirus, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. He was 89 years old. It's a good run. I had an opportunity to meet John Cheney once. I interviewed for a job at Temple in Philadelphia, uh, which is, by the way, where my, my mother's family is from. And So I, I interviewed for a job down there, and I had an opportunity to meet John Cheney when I interviewed uh, for the job. Nice guy, really nice guy. Temple is not an easy place to coach, by the way, and I quickly realized it wasn't a place I wanted to work. Uh, it's in North Philadelphia. It's a tough neighborhood and, uh, you know, not an easy place to coach. But John Chaney coached there uh, starting in 1982, uh, retired back in 2006 with almost uh, 750 wins as a college coach. He was twice named the National Coach of the Year. Uh, his team's won six Atlantic 10 conference titles. Uh, great coach and a funny dude. Very intense on the court. When the games were going on, this is a guy that uh, had, a, had a loud voice. He was uh, very fiery when the game was going on. This is a guy that at one point uh, in his career, and I can't remember, it was sometime in the 90s, the mid-90s, uh, after a game against UMass, he actually threatened to kill John Calipari, who was the UMass coach at the time. He he did. He threatened to kill him. Uh, he later apologized. He actually got suspended for a game. Uh, he and Calipari later became friends. Uh, but uh, that was, you know, John was a young guy, and he was, uh, John Calipari was a young guy and cocky. And that was a good UMass team. I think that was when Marcus Camby was on their team. Uh, and... Uh, John Chaney threatened to kill him. It was great. Uh, but anyway, 
Uh, so he's, he passed away this uh, past weekend at the age of 89. Um, so I mentioned uh, Major League Baseball, and a story came down yesterday that MLB has presented a proposal to the Players Union to postpone the start of spring training for about 30 days. Uh, and they would cut the regular season schedule from 162 games to 154 now. So they would take eight games out of the schedule, but the way they they proposed it to the players' union, you won't lose any money. You'll get 100% of your salary, even though we're going to play eight fewer games. Um, it also uh, calls for the uh, continued expansion of the playoffs. So the expansion that we saw this year would remain. Excuse me. There would be two extra playoff teams in each league. Uh, you know, I, I wasn't a big fan of the expanded playoffs. I understood why they did it. Uh, it also would keep the designated hitter in the National League, which I had mentioned last week. I've kind of come around on that idea. But it would also keep the stupid rules for seven-inning doubleheaders and beginning uh, extra innings with a runner on second base, which is the dumbest thing ever. They did that last year. It's something they do in high school and college. Uh, it started out as a softball rule, to be honest with you. They started it in, I, I believe, high school and college softball to stop games from uh, you know, going over overly long. And it was adopted by some leagues in baseball as well in college and high school. Uh, they did it in Major League Baseball last year. The idea was, well, you know, it's a pandemic. We want to save the pitching staff, so we don't want the games to go too long. Look, the number of games, and this is, see, it's it's flawed logic to me. I, I understand what they're saying, but the number of games that actually go beyond, say, 11 innings, 10, 11, 12 innings anyway, is very, very small. Like, like in the, you know, 1% to 2% of games that are played all season will go long. You know, you might play 11 innings. But very seldom does it go beyond that. So having the runners start at second base is just, it's not necessary. I mean, you can score a run in an inning without getting a hit. You know, you start a guy on second base, you bunt him to third, guy hits a deep fly ball to center field, you've scored a run without getting a hit. You haven't even earned it. So I was against that last year, and... The proposal will be to keep that this year if the Players Association buys in. But that is where the rub is. The Players Association is expected to reject this. Players Association wants to start spring training on time. They want a 162-game season. As a matter of fact, the current collecting collective bargaining agreement requires a 162-game season. The only exception to that is a national emergency. Well, you could make the case that obviously that the pandemic is not only a national emergency, it's a world emergency. So Major League Baseball is kind of hanging on that to say, well, we're not violating the collective bargaining agreement because of this. But at the end of the day, all these other things have to be agreed to by the players and they are expected to reject it. They rejected a very similar plan just last week that Major League Baseball put out there. 
Here's the deal. The owners don't want a full season because the owners know that they're not going to have butts in the seats at least for the first part of the season. So the owners are trying to minimize their losses. That's why they want to cut it back to 154 games and not start the season until April. Under the current plan by MLB, spring training would not begin until March the 22nd. The full reporting date right now for all players is February the 22nd, but pitchers and catchers are supposed to report on February the 17th, so basically just two weeks from now. So they would push it back to March 22nd. The first games would not start until April the 28th. April the 28th. It would end October 10th, and with the expanded playoffs that MLB wants, the World Series would not get over until the middle of November. And built into the schedule would be 18 scheduled days off, and each team would be allowed to schedule up to 12 split doubleheaders. So you could have 12 doubleheaders during the season. Now, we're going to see some of that happen anyway. You know, this is, to me, this is just Major League Baseball trying to weaken the players' union. Because if the players' union gives into this, they're putting themselves in a very difficult situation because it shows that they have caved to, to Rob Manfred and the owners. So there's no way, there's no way the players are going to accept this. Now, is there a chance that we will start spring training and we won't be able to finish spring training? Yep. We've we've seen it with basketball. We've seen it with hockey. We've seen teams having to uh, put the brakes on things. And if you have to put the brakes, you know, let's say, you know, middle of March, something happens with the Red Sox and they have to not play for two weeks, you've now set your pitching staff back uh, in their preparation to get ready for the season. So it is a slippery slope. We've already had mayors in Arizona ask to postpone the start of spring training because of the coronavirus. Uh, most of Florida is planning on still going ahead, but most of Florida doesn't care, don't wear masks anyway, so they, they could care less. But it's a it's a tricky thing. And... You know, obviously the players, the fact that they can get full pay here, they love that idea. But, and I, and the, the designated hitter idea, the players like that because it means older players get to keep their jobs. Guys like Nelson Cruz will suddenly find their market opening wide open if the designated hitter stays in both leagues. If not, well, then you've cut out half the teams that you can sign with. So we'll see, but don't count on the players accepting this. And I don't know, you know, what powers Rob Manfred has. Now, obviously, when everything had to shut down last year because of the pandemic, the players union had no choice. They had to basically accept what they could get because they were this close to not having a season at all. So, you know, uh, but now with the vaccine being rolled out, 
with the seemingly declining numbers or declining percentages around the country of new cases, there is a window there where the players can say, look, you know, we got it, you know, it's getting under control. We're going to be okay. So, no, we don't need to do this. Now, MLB has said we want a decision by Monday, meaning today. So, uh, by tomorrow, we should know what direction we're heading in. And I don't think it's going to be a positive one. You know, and this is just setting it up for next year when the collective bargaining agreement runs out at the end of this season, folks. I am fully expecting that we will not start 2022 on time, pandemic or no pandemic, which, by the way, it should be long over by then. But I am expecting some kind of a work stoppage next year, whether the players go on strike, whether the owners lock them out because they don't like the direction that the talks are going. One way or the other, I believe there'll be a baseball work stoppage next year. As sad as that makes me. Um, but these two sides have not been able to agree on anything, even in the middle of a pandemic. The 60-game season that we got last year wasn't an agreement. That was shoved down the players' throats, and they didn't have any choice. Basically, what they were told by Major League Baseball was, this is what you get, or will we just won't play at all. And the play, look, if the owners had decided to shut down and not play at all last year, there was nothing the Players Association could do about it. They would have gotten no salary. They would have been, you know, I you know I don't want to say they would have been on the breadline, but they would have you know they would have had to dip into their reserves because there would have been nothing. I mean, they got what sixty out of a hundred, you know, sixty over one hundred and sixty-two. So whatever that percentage is, they got about I think about forty percent of their salary last year. By the way. If uh, a player is making a million dollars, he means he got $400,000. Everybody in America would sign up for that right now. <laughs> you know, you know. so nobody's feeling sorry for these, these millionaire baseball players. But um, they didn't have any leverage last year, the players. They have leverage this year, so we'll see what happens. Again, uh, they're supposed to give their answer by today. It's 28 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. We're back in a minute. I need some more coffee to try to stay awake. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 31 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the Wake Up Call. Uh, for those of you watching on Facebook, welcome. I know we had some uh, issues early on in the broadcast. Um, Facebook was uh, being a little temperamental this morning, but if you missed it, uh, I'm operating on two hours of sleep, so I'm a little punchy. I uh, got up with my wife to make sure she got off okay in this snow. Uh, by, the, by the way, you know, I was like, yeah, any chance they'll close the store? No, no. You know, she works at Home Depot, and, you know, in the middle of a snowstorm, they, they will not close. So, you know, uh, uh, even the only way they close, I guess, is if the governor closes the roads. But uh, we've already seen, you know, restaurants and everything, and a lot of businesses, all the banks, or a lot of the banks, or most of the banks are closed down here in the state of Connecticut. Every school's closed down, although it was fun watching the school closings this morning. A lot of them don't say closed anymore. They say remote learning kids are really pissed about that i mean i know i would be <laughs> i'd be i'd be beside myself uh, by the way i i got an email about the uh, high school basketball schedule i'll have it up on the website um sportscountry.net sometime in the next day or two i'm just waiting to confirm uh, a couple of times and also uh just 
checking in one more time with the athletic directors. I got the go-ahead from everybody, uh, but everybody also said, you know what, let me just you know run it by the principal or you know whoever one more time just to make sure we're on the same page. So before I post it, uh, I just want to get those final sign-offs here in the next day or two so uh, you can find it on sportscountry.net. Uh, other baseball news, a huge trade over the weekend. Uh, now, it can't become official until uh, it is approved by Major League Baseball because there's a lot of money involved. But the Colorado Rockies have traded their all-star third baseman, the best third baseman in baseball. Uh, look, I know Matt, Matt Chapman is really good. Uh, there's a couple of third basemen that are pretty good. Nolan Arenado is the best third baseman in baseball, period. He has won eight gold gloves. Uh, but he has been traded from the Rockies to the St. Louis Cardinals for um, a couple of pitchers and like f- three or four uh, prospects. They don't have all the particulars uh, because they, it can't be officially announced yet. But uh, Colorado would have to pay St. Louis a large part of cash in the trade to cover the ridiculous contract that Nolan Arenado has. Uh, he, he's, his contract uh, pays him $35 million annually between 2021 and 2024. He's scheduled to make $32 million in 2025 and $27 million in 2026. Now, the, the caveat to this whole thing, and I have to think part of this trade had to be some negotiating with Arenado prior to the trade. He has an opt-out clause in his contract right now that would allow him to become a free agent after this season. I can't believe that St. Louis would have made this trade given up a bunch of prospects and still run the risk of losing Arenado at the end of this year if he decides he doesn't like it in St. Louis. So I have to think there was some negotiating going on, or there will be. Um, But, you know, I mean, he signed that eight-year deal with Colorado back in 2019, and he still owed $199 million, you know. And I can't, you know, and look, St. Louis hasn't made any moves here in the offseason. You know, their moves have been to bring back Adam Wainwright, who's 38 years old. He had a decent year last year, but he's, you know, a 38 or 39 year old veteran pitcher. Your uh, all star catcher, Yadier Molina, is still a free agent. You haven't signed him yet. Uh, and other than that, St. Louis hasn't really done a lot. Uh, Colton Wong, their second baseman, is a free agent. They've decided to move on from him, which I I don't understand that at all. Um, But now, you know, Arenado becomes the face of this St. Louis franchise. Um, You know, uh, he's going to play, you know, they look, they have Paul Goldschmidt at first base. You know, Paul DeYoung, a very good shortstop. Um. That pitching staff, to me, is a little bit shaky. You know, Wainwright's pretty good, you know, but some of these other guys that they've got in there are, you know, mm. so we'll see. But I got to believe there's going to be some negotiating with Arenado. Look, he's a uh, a 293 career hitter. 
he averages 35 home runs and 114 runs batted in over the 162-game season. But let's also remember he played in Coors Field. You know, he led the National League in home runs three times. He led the major leagues in RBIs twice. The RBI total to me, I, that doesn't matter where you play because, you know, RBIs aren't necessarily just about home runs. RBIs are about being able to get runners home from scoring position. And when you're a 293 hitter, you're going to do that a lot. But the home run numbers, he's not going to hit 35, 40 home runs in, in St. Louis. I don't believe. And when he, playing half his games in St. Louis, I don't think his home run numbers will be that gaudy. But what you might lose in power if you're St. Louis, you know, you're going to gain in how many runs he's going to save you defensively because he is uh, ridiculously good at third base. And like I said, he's still only 29 years old. Um, you know, and this is a move, I guess, as far as free agents go, this is one of the biggest deals I think St. Louis – has made in a long, long time. I'm trying to remember. I mean, I guess, you know, maybe you could say when they got Matt Holiday from the athletics back in twenty in 2009, you know, maybe that was a big deal. And it was. I mean, he was a good player for them. But Arenado is one of the best players in baseball. This is probably similar to when they got Mark McGuire back in the late 90s from the Oakland Athletics. Um, and then maybe when they got Jim Edmonds, great center fielder from the Angels back in 2000. You know, but it's been a long time since St. Louis has made any kind of a splash like this to bring a name like that to the area. And look, St. Louis baseball fans are as good as it gets in baseball. They are rabid. You know, and they are knowledgeable fans. And uh, they, it, you know, from all accounts, uh, players love to be there. I mean, Paul Goldschmidt, when he came over from Arizona, there was a little trepidation, but he has embraced St. Louis wholeheartedly, and he loves it there. Uh, so uh, there's no reason to think that Nolan Arenado won't feel very comfortable there. And that may be, you know, part of the deal with, uh, you know, trying to get him to waive that opt-out clause so they don't lose him. Now, the other part of it is, is if you're if you're St. Louis, you still owe him 199 million dollars, and that's a big nut to carry uh, for a lot of years. You know, and 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 how is that going to impact what you're able to do on the free agent market going forward? We'll see. Uh, we'll talk about that uh, coming up on Wednesday. We're gonna have a new guest, uh, Matthew Corey, who does a podcast and a blog called. Sox outsider. Uh, he's a big uh, Boston Red Sox guy, but he lives in Seattle, Washington. So that's why he calls it the outsider because he's on the opposite coast. Uh, he's going to join us on Wednesday uh, to talk about uh, some of the things that have gone on in the offseason. Of course, talk a lot about what's going on with the Red Sox uh, roster, where he thinks they are. Are they going to be any good? I mean, there is some cautious optimism with Red Sox fans right now, I guess with the fact that they've actually finally made some moves. I'm not sure how optimistic I am. Uh, I think there's a too, there's too many ifs on this team right now. But uh, we'll talk to Matthew Corey coming up about that on uh, Wednesday. 
Uh, other free agent signing that happened over the weekend. Again, this is not finalized yet, but uh, he, Didi Gregorius has agreed in principle to a two-year deal with the Phillies for $28 million bucks. He's 31 years old. Uh, he hit 284 last year in that shortened season. Uh, this is a guy that averaged, you know, 20 home runs a year for the Yankees for about four years. Um, had Tommy John surgery a couple of years ago to repair an elbow ligament, but seems to have bounced back early, uh, you know, pretty well from that. Um, and this is also a signal that the Phillies are kind of all in still. You know, when they signed Dave Dombrowski to be their general manager, Dave Dombrowski has a history of big contracts. Ask the Red Sox. You know, a lot of the grumbling with the Red Sox and a lot of the reason why people think that the Red Sox lost Mookie Betts and were never able to go out and offer him what they felt they should have is because Dave Dombrowski, when he was there, saddled the Red Sox with a lot of contracts uh, and and wasted a lot of money. So there was a lot of bad money spent. And right now I'm sure Philly fans are hoping that history is not repeating itself uh, in Philadelphia with what he's doing. But, you know, look, they signed JT Ramuto last week to a five-year deal for almost $25 bucks a year. And now uh, Didi Gregorius gets $14 million from the uh, Phillies to stay there for two more years. Um, interesting thing happened over the weekend. Uh, Steve Cohen, the new owner of the New York Mets, suddenly deleted his Twitter account on Friday night. This is a guy that bought the Mets, has been loving interacting with fans on social media, uh, getting their ideas, getting their thoughts. It's something that he has, he reveled in. Well, what happened was with the whole thing going on in, you know, with, with GameStop, you know, and, and I'm sure you've seen it all over the news uh, about all these retail investors, these guys that got together on Reddit and have inflated the price of GameStop to fight against these big hedge fund managers that try to short sell everything. And um, there was some shots leveled at Steve Cohen and Steve Cohen's family. He received what he says were personal threats because of what was going on with GameStop. Now, let's understand something. Um, Steve Cohen runs a hedge fund, but Steve Cohen was not involved at all with what was going on with GameStop. However, Dave Portnoy, who is the founder of Barstool Sports, and I have not a lot of good feelings about Barstool Sports. I, I think what Dave Portnoy is doing right now to help out restaurant owners across the country is a beautiful thing. But he, he uh, did an interview on Thursday where he said that uh, Cohen should do prison time because, you know, he owns a, a hedge fund, .72 Capital. He said fines aren't enough, prison or bust. You know, and and he was thinking that, you know, going after Cohen, thinking that he had something to do with what was going on with GameStop. He didn't. Now, one of the one of the hedge funds that did was run by somebody who used to work for Steve Cohen. And Steve Cohen has a piece of Melvin Capital. He's like one of the investors with Melvin Capital, but he does he, he doesn't control it. And 
you know, so Portnoy went after him, and then, you know, all these other people just ganged up on Cohen all of a sudden and started attacking him. And he said, you know what? Enough. Pull the plug. Look, you can't win on Twitter. You can't. You know, uh, no matter, everybody on Twitter is holier than thou. Everybody on Twitter has an opinion, and it's going to be the exact opposite of whatever yours is. And God help you if there is anything, uh, you know, on your Twitter feed that somebody can glom onto and attack you with, because they will. They'll even look stuff up to try to get dirt on you just to go after you. And that's what happened with Steve Cohen. And it got to a point where it got personal and his family was threatened. So that was the end of it. And and look, you can't blame him, you know. And at the end of it, he said, uh, you know, as he was signing off, he said, look, he said, uh, I'm done. He said, you know, uh, I like listening to your suggestions on how to make the med experience better. He said, but that relationship is going to proceed in other ways. And the one thing he did make it clear on his way out of Twitter, he said, by the way, what happened this week in no way affects our resources because there were a lot of Mets fans thinking that, oh, all of a sudden they're they're not going to spend any money. He's like, look, you know, we'll be fine. By the way, Cohen's worth $13 billion. <laughs> so I don't think he's in any trouble, but again, the cesspool that is Twitter gets another one. How many celebrities have we seen that have had to pull the plug because, you know, the attacks get too bad? You know, it's bad enough being the average Joe on Twitter. I mean, I don't engage a lot of people on Twitter. I mean, I did it a couple of times, and it never went well, you know. And so you have to be very, very careful. You know, and the only reason I'm on social media is to help, you know, promote this station. But otherwise, you can't win. You can't win. It's a place to stay off of. You know, Facebook and Twitter are, are, are have its uses. You know, but I think that if you think you're going to have a healthy conversation and a healthy back and forth with anyone on social media, forget it. It's not going to happen. And Steve Cohen learned that lesson the hard way. It's a shame because reading his tweets and reading his conversations with some true Met fans was entertaining, but unfortunately it went too far as it always does on social media. 47 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take another break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the wake up call on sports country. It's 49 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake up call. Got a few more minutes this morning before we get out of here. Huge trade. In the NFL yesterday. Now, this trade can't become official until March 17th, which is the official start of the new league year. So uh, for the next month and a half, these players are still with their old teams. But this is something you only see like in fantasy football. You don't ever see starting quarterbacks traded for each other in the NFL. This is just, I mean, I, I can't remember the last time something like this happened. I'm sure it has. I'm sure Dan Zampano, when we have him on on Friday, uh, can tell us. But I can't remember the last time this has happened. The Detroit Lions have traded Matthew Stafford, their starting quarterback, to the Los Angeles Rams in exchange for Jared Goff, their starting quarterback. Now, Jared Goff is 
scheduled to start a new four-year deal for $134 million this coming season. Uh, so he's leaving the Rams before his contract extension even begins. Uh, so uh, amazing. And now Stafford, who turns 33 years old, has two years left on his deal. It was a two-year, uh, two years left. That was 135 million five-year contract. So he's got two years left, and that's where he's headed, is to the Rams, and uh, he will play for Sean McVay, and that should be very interesting. I'm a fan of Matthew Stafford. I have to be honest. I was hoping when I found out Stafford was going to be available because he asked for a trade out of Detroit that the Patriots would go after him. Well. According to uh, some sources around the NFL, I, and I want to say Ian Rappaport might have been one of them, uh, Matthew Stafford had one team, one team on his no-trade list. Can you guess what that team was? That's right, the New England Patriots. He wanted no part of going to New England. He said he would not accept a trade to the Patriots. Why? Does that mean he doesn't want to play for Bill Belichick? Now, I theorized this the other day with Dan Zampano on Friday when we had him on about Matt Patricia, and Dan kind of, you know, said, nah, you know, Patricia's going to be in the front office. He won't have anything to do with it. However, you know, look at it this way. Patricia was mentored by Bill Belichick. So if what went on in Detroit came down and, and Stafford had a bad feeling about it, he might have been saying, hey, look, I don't want any part of what happened, you know, with, with what Matt Patricia brought to Detroit. If that's what goes on in New England, I don't want that, so I won't go there. Uh, you know, I don't know for sure it's true, but, uh, you know, it was uh, Yahoo Sports had it this morning that uh, that was the case, that that was the only team he would not accept a trade to. Uh, look, Jared Goff got the Rams to the playoffs. Jared Goff ended up hurting his thumb. He missed a couple of games, he had to come in to a playoff game with pins in his thumb a week after surgery because their starting quarterback got hurt. And so he comes in hurt, and they win the game. And then he's got to play the following week. He's still not healthy. You know, did the best that he could. But they lost the game, and that was, you know, you know they, they got beat by Seattle. Look, Goff is a mediocre quarterback, in my opinion. I think Stafford has way more talent than Jared Goff. I think that uh, the Rams are making out in this deal. Now, supposedly the uh, the Rams also get, I mean, the Lions also get two first-round draft picks and a third-round draft pick in the future uh, from the Rams. And basically what, what this was for the Rams, it was a salary dump. A, they didn't believe in Jared Goff, and B, they had signed him to a stupid four-year extension for $134 million, so they had to give the Lions these first-round picks to get them to suck up that contract for the next four years. And in the meantime, the Rams get a, a pretty good quarterback for a couple of years who may very well thrive in that Sean McVay offense. Uh, so it, it will be... Uh, interesting to see how that comes down, but uh, no question in my mind, just even despite giving up the uh, the draft picks, I think the Rams make out better in this deal. 
the Lions get a mediocre quarterback, but they will now get a couple of future first-round draft picks maybe to help them you know, rebuild a little bit because here's the thing. They stunk with a good quarterback in Stafford. They're going to stink even more <laughs> with, with Jared Goff at quarterback. So those first-round draft picks they have could turn out to be in prime position. You know, they could be very high draft picks that will allow them to help rebuild that team a little bit to give the new GM and the new head coach uh, some better personnel to work with. Uh, one other quick note before we get out of here. Great finish to a basketball game last night. I watched the third and fourth quarter of this game. The Washington Wizards stunned the Brooklyn Nets last night, 149-146. Nobody played any defense in this game whatsoever. But this was a game that, look, that, you know, that the Nets were supposed to win. And it looked like they were going to win it. They had they led almost this entire game. But Bradley Beal and Russell Westbrook hit three-pointers in four seconds last night. And they beat Brooklyn by three points. They were down by five, right? They were down 146-141. Beal hits a three with eight seconds left. And then the inbounds pass... Uh, got deflected. It went right to Westbrook. He drained a three with 4.3 seconds left to give the Wizards the lead. It was unbelievable. Uh, now, Brooklyn was playing without James Harden last night. He sat out because of a thigh contusion, but they still had plenty of talent on the floor. That is a great win for the Washington Wizards and a great finish. It was one of those games last night. You're down five in the final seconds. You know, you think the game is over. That is the perfect example. Every coach can draw that up, or every coach can use that as an example in college and the pros for the rest of the season. Hey, this game is not over. This could this could happen. You know, I mean, a simple thing like an inbounds pass getting tipped. You know, you know, and maybe it was you know Brooklyn just you know kind of lollygagged it in and a good steal and back to back threes, game over. That was a fun finish to that game. That's going to do it for us here this morning. My plan is to be here tomorrow. Uh, now, you know, full disclosure, with 10 to 16 inches of snow coming, my wife's got to work tomorrow. I'm going to have to dig her out uh, with a snowblower. Hopefully I can get most of that done tonight. But uh, if, all goes, if all goes south, uh, we'll have something uh, on social media tomorrow to let you know whether we'll be here or not. But my plan is to be here for a show tomorrow. Uh, we leave you this morning with some music from Luke Combs, Beer Never Broke My Heart. We'll see you tomorrow, we hope. You've been listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country.